Hello and welcome to the latest episode, the showcase episode of Rose Tinted Black and White Television. And as we have promised in past weeks, we are going to outline the rules for Saint Trope Bingo. Now, I'm not quite sure, Dave, what the difference is between a trope and a cliché. Uh, all right. A, a cliché uh, is is something where we expect it. It's like a villain firing a gun um, until it goes click and then hurling that gun as a weapon um, at the hero, hoping that they will uh, be disabled. There's a marvellous example of that at the beginning of the revived uh, James Bond franchise with Daniel Craig at the beginning of Casino Royale, where a villain fires his gun until it goes click throws it then in frustration at James Bond, who catches it and then throws it back at the villain and hits him in the face. So that's I'm taking a cliche and then and then kind of extending it. I guess a trope is more part of the the formula that we may expect uh, from from a TV series. So if we look at it in a very, very basic level, um, and you and I have both studied at this level, Guy, when we've looked at uh, an example of a TV soap, there will be an expectation uh, around that. There will usually be an A plot, a B plot, a C plot. I mean, they can fit it in in half an hour. Uh, sometimes a D plot as well. And each of those will be interconnected um, and interwoven. And usually you end the TV series or that episode on a high or a cliffhanger with the A-line story. So tropes are more the formula, I would say, within which a, a TV series um, exists. And Columbo, for example, a good trope there is you know who the murderer is from the beginning. Yes, and just one other thing. Yeah, just just one more thing. Tarantula! Uh, it's almost like regular gag lines, almost, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, Only Fools and Horses, for example, as a, as a sitcom, and there is a theory around, around sitcoms is one of the refreshing things about watching a sitcom is that the characters very rarely change, very rarely progress. So at the beginning and the first episodes of Only Fools and Horses, Dell is a wide boy and Rodney's a bit of a plonker all the way through to the ending episodes. And Dell is a wide boy and Rodney's a bit of a plonker. Uh, and then there are those characters um, that surround them, such as like Trigger or Boise. Um, and there are expectations from them uh, as well. And probably one of the reasons why something like the fast show worked so well, because it was, you know, the expectation of those catchphrases. Yeah. I mean, in, within the saint, I think the tropes are kind of almost like catchphrases. Just before we go on to the saint, I've been watching on great TV. They are showing almost on a permanent loop, Randall and Hopkirk deceased. All right. Yeah. And come into it about 10 episodes from the end, you, you watch it um and now they're started again so i'm going to start watching from the very beginning but it seems to me that there are three tropes in randall and hopkirk deceased one is jeff randall gets hired and then gets framed he gets beaten up mm. and he is imprisoned in some form and marty has to find some way of getting someone to phone the police Absolutely. Jeff, look out. He's in the next room with a gun. Marty, is that you? There are better episodes uh, of Randall and Hopkirk than some of the others. Let's put it that way. 
it is it is quite fun but it is a little frustrating um that they didn't search for a little more off-piste originality i would say uh, but there you go 26 episodes what can you do um the saint 118 episodes and i think it's fair to say that there is a slight change from the black and white episodes to the color ones and some of these tropes will actually uh, include the color ones because we're talking about the series in its entirety and it was the it was the biggest or longest running of of the itc series yeah that's right and it's one of those 60s defining series there is one other which wasn't itc and had more episodes and uh, evolved and one could argue had more plot lines because there were more evil devious masterminds or we'd have to look that up though and and research and find out what that series is if any listeners do know um please drop us a line we'd be we'd be love to know love to know but the difference with the black and white saints is that uh, Simon Templar walks in and breaks the fourth wall. He does, yeah. Uh, he This idea of him um, talking direct to camera um, quite often when he's talking about uh, the things which are going on uh, around him, kind of establishing the episode. You know, Monte Carlo is always the same. A marvellous masquerade of marble, mink, music and millionaires. Unless you're very careful... Oh, very rich, you can get yourself into an awful lot of trouble. Me, I always quit playing when I've either won or lost 10,000 francs. Excuse me. And then even when he he is then actively engaged with the scene and interacting with characters, and someone says, but I recognise you, you're the famous Simon Templar. Uh, And then usually he will look into the camera, full-on kind of Eddie Murphy trading places looking into the camera, and his halo will appear, and that very familiar um, Edwin Astley theme tune kicks in. That is a trope that mutates when they move into colour, because then it's a voiceover, and he's musing to himself, usually about the place that he's just passing through. That brings us to the second trope. The saint happens to be passing by or on holiday and stumbles upon intrigue. Is there anybody left in there? Who are you? Just a passerby. Why don't you call the roll? Hmm? Good morning. Good morning. I hope you're going to vote for Mr. Hackett's party. Uh, may I have your number? Afraid I don't have one. I don't live in Seekenden. No, I'm just here to do a little sailing or fishing. Yes, he he doesn't seem to. Um, Simon Templer, for all his reputation and you know, known by security forces and police services around the world, seemingly, um, he doesn't seem to have like a really clear, distinct career path in terms of what he'd what he'd like to do or what he'd like to achieve. Obviously, it's difficult being a soul, you know, being an entrepreneur, sole employee, uh, one-man band, I suppose you could call him, uh, that he he wouldn't have um, a human resources review to to look at targets and milestones. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's all sometimes very much happenstance uh, that he is in a particular location when something kicks off. Yes, and, of course, we don't know how he funds his activities or his swanning around, there are implications that he may in the past have um, nicked some stuff. Yes, because even um, in the episodes where uh, there is, um, you know, filthy lucre is mentioned, 
uh, and he does manage to extract money from from the villains, uh, he usually either donates that back to uh, their original victims, uh, donates it to a worthy cause, uh, or ensure it's you know um, dispersed uh, appropriately. He he very rarely seems to be in a very mercenary attitude and keeps the cash for himself. I think occasionally he picks up an insurance reward mm. or something. But yes, to fund that kind of international lifestyle, he has some big wins gambling. Mm. Um, now, I don't know whether this is a trope or not, but where do you usually do your gambling, Dave? Um, I usually go uh, with chums. I will go to product placement napoleon's casino in leeds um which is um just a little um further past the end of wellington street you're on to um kirkstall lane but it's yeah that's that's where i would that's where i would normally go but the 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 saint appears to uh, literally spread his bets around uh because he will go to casinos usually in the south of france um, or casinos elsewhere. You know, you very rarely catch him down the bookies or down William Hills or doing the football pools. No, I, I think he has been to the odd racetrack. Yes. Um, yeah. But, uh, yes, it's mainly casinos. He does uh, a bit of backroom poker at times. That's maybe how he funds some of his activities. Coming out of the casino, come nightclub or whatever it is, the saint often comes to the aid of a damsel in distress, but it's a trick. Yeah, sometimes it's not as straightforward as it may appear, um, and and sometimes that adds to the the roller coaster ride of of the plot. We've discussed previous episodes where the the damsel in distress is turns out to be neither much of a damsel nor in a, a great deal of distress, um, such as one featuring Julie Christie. Um, where she turns out she's a liar. Yes, I mean, but the odd thing about that, I suppose the only bit of distress is that there's um, she shunts his car. So mm. that falls into that kind of by accident. Let him go! All right. Fine. I think I've just been elected into a rather exclusive club. Oh, what's that? The League of Grateful Women, whose lives have been saved by the famous Simon Templar. Whereas in Invitation to Danger, one of the current episodes, Shirley Eaton positively seems to be deceiving the saint and playing the damsel in distress and invites him to a party, which is just a lot of tape-recorded noise. Mm. And and then he he's locked up, and then he's I think he's stabbed in the backside with a hypodermic, Ouch. which is it, which is another thing that we'll we'll come to. Now, okay, he's got himself involved with a damsel. Otherwise, one of his friends is in trouble, or even worse, bumped off as the inciting incident. I ain't got many friends, but one of them happens to be the famous Simon Templar. What are you doing? No offence, Miss Summers. I, I think I'll have a quick word with Lord Gillingham. He won't like to be disturbed. I won't keep him alone. He's... he's out. No, I won't disturb him, will I? 
Uh, I would imagine Simon Templar's address book is written mostly in pencil. You can uh, kind of like take now, you know, take names out at a moment's notice um, and then insert insert new ones. I really wouldn't bother, you know, using a, an ink pen for that because his 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 roster of friends who who die inevitably sometimes due to his own involvement um, is is quite high. Yes, I would have thought that come late November, going through his Christmas card list, it's probably fairly depressing. Yeah, he's got, oh, right, yeah, sorry. He was a circus performer. Not anymore. Oh, wasn't he the chief of political? Oh, no, not anymore. Scratch, yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. my friend the Mountie. uh, Yes, yeah. Um, However... We must look at the, the 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 other side for all those friends that meet sticky ends uh, because Simon turns up. Um, there are sort of like a replacement; those lovely uh, blonde women who are about five foot six and in their twenties. Oh, this is my niece Carmen, whom I believe you've met. Yes. Hello. Yes. Well, Miss uh... Allardyce, Kathy Allardyce. Well, Miss Allardyce, where are you staying? At the Royal Danielli. Good, I'll take it back there. What is it? What's wrong? I heard you screaming. By the boat! What I like about getting back to dear old London is the English scenery. Always beautiful, always fascinating. Makes you want to see more, doesn't it? Is she gay, happy, vivacious? At least she's charitable. In April 1945, the Allies had Berlin inside a steel trap before dawn on April the 29th. In a ceremony conducted by the Chaplain General to the forces, Hitler and Eva Braun were married. She had borne his child. I am that child. There is a resemblance. Yes, on average, it has to be said. There are uh, a couple who seem to be surprisingly young and then some who kind of are heading towards 30. But it seems to be a very strong proportion of people in the Saints' circle who are female, blonde, about five foot six uh, and in their 20s and genuine damsels in distress Mm. or not. I mean, to balance the books, the saint very occasionally encounters a dark-haired woman, but she's always up to no good. Oh, not to be trusted, you see. Um, it's those sinister black locks. Um, yeah, not to be trusted. Um, I suppose one of the things we, we must ask ourselves is is that type um, of, or that depiction, that look, um, was, that, was that trend-setting at the time, or was it following... The current style that was that was out there, um, you know, because quite often, sometimes TV and film uh, can be a style marker, a style indicator. Um, equally, it can be a a sometimes a big influence or a copycat to say, "Wow, wait a minute, we'll have so and so some you know dress like this, um, this kind of double-breasted suit or or this kind of blazer." So it's it'd be interesting to 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 look. Um, at fashion magazines at the time, to think that is this the, the big popular look of the early sixties? Possibly. I'm just thinking from an industry point of view. At drama school, Dave. Yes. Looking at the female participants, yes. how many of them would you say were blonde? We had um, 
Um, some were some were blonde um, in a in a term because they dyed their hair. But in terms of blondness, no, we didn't have didn't have any blondes in in our year. No, all dark haired, dark haired or ginga. Oh right. So, do you think that may have affected their castability? Absolutely. If we'd have been around in the early sixties at the time of the saints, yes. Uh, they they would have just all had to have played villains or villainesses. Uh, they would have had to have played wrongans, yes. And and certainly I can imagine Miss Anne doing that because uh, she was quite adept uh, at that kind of that kind of activity. So yes, uh, they would have. Yeah, they would have been limited. They wouldn't have been able to rock up as you know five foot six and I'm in bother. Interestingly, we're recording this on Sunday, sixteenth of October, twenty twenty two. And uh, Talking Pictures TV are due to show Luella, I believe. Okay. And there is a picture of Sue Lloyd. Now, confusingly, Suzanne Lloyd is also in this. Oh! I think the other thing they have in common is one Avengers point each. Right now, Sue Lloyd is Sue Lloyd the Sue Lloyd who was in the Ipcress file and then progressed. Yes to um, The Bitch and The Stud and Crossroads. Yes, uh, but she was also was Cordelia in The Baron. Oh, right, okay. Um, and played a lawyer in an episode of Randall and Hopkirk. And it was quite striking. I remember noticing her as a very young boy <sighs> and thinking, hmm, whether she was playing a villain or not. Suzanne Lloyd was i can't remember if she was canadian or american i sure have to look that up but uh she certainly went and pursued most of her career in um later on in the states but that's luella and i would say that given that sue lloyd was dark-haired that she's probably a villain in this episode <laughs> haven't seen it yet they don't want to prejudice people's judgments but i would say that's the case when people approach Simon Templar, sometimes it's to do off-the-books espionage work. Now, one thing that we do know about the saint is he doesn't work for the Russians. But I know Templar. He'd never worked for the Russians. Look, sir, he may be a friend of yours, but all the same... I didn't say he was a friend. I said I know him and he'd never worked for the Russians. No, won't work for them. That's a, that's a no-no. And obviously that's very in keeping, I would imagine, with... Uh, British policy at the time, but he is a, I think it's safe to say he, he's certainly in the address book of the British intelligence services um, and occasionally, very, very occasionally, will be subcontracted uh, to to chip in. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. How many operators do you have? Well, that's classified information. All right, then why pick on me? Who have unique talents? Won't dispute that. What's the real reason? At the moment, I have no other operator free. They seem to dislike themselves for having to ask him to do it. Look at um, perhaps recruiting someone for this role rather than having to rely on subcontracted employees. Now, one of the advantages of recruiting somebody like the Saint is plausible deniability, I would say. Yes, you could always say, oh, sorry, it's not our fault. Um, Or he is nothing to do with us. He is a well-known, notorious international criminal and thief. And we've got no idea 
how he got mixed up with this. Nothing to do with us, nothing to see here. Again, you've got the uh, slight problem there of if you are using someone for a covert um, operation, which requires a certain amount of delicacy, and intrigue and know-how, um, why would you go to the famous, notorious, unscrupulous Simon Templer, who apparently, we are continually told at the beginning of episodes, um, is world-renowned. You know, it'd be a bit like using um, Tom Cruise or um, Donald Trump as a spy, um, because people just, wait a minute, aren't you Donald Trump, the former United States president? Um, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm undercover. Um, but Simon does seem to enjoy and relish the undercover opportunity, going to the dressing up box and um, usually putting on a little bit of a daft accent, as he did the other week in Bunko Artists, um, where he was a Texan, ma'am. That's right. He does occasionally indulge in American accents. There are episodes where he is apparently fluent in Italian, um, throws in the odd word yeah. Uh, yeah. here and there. And we know that he's multilingual anyway, even if it's just please and thank you. But on that undercover thing, when the saint is staking out a place, um, parked up, in the Volvo. With the personalised number plate. That must mean that his quarry are extraordinarily unobservant and don't check the street out. Uh, the only thing that's really missing from uh, the Saint's car is the version that Corgi Toys um, produced in the 60s, which used to have the Saint logo actually on the bonnet of the Volvo, which is a lovely little touch that it's a shame um, Simon in the TV series doesn't actually have. It would have actually helped people when on the next trope someone tries to frame the saint perhaps using a rubbish version of his logo yeah so far we have seen people impersonate uh simon's logo well-known stick figure with a halo above it we have seen people impersonate simon's handwriting by, by phony letters we have heard um actors impersonating Simon, although we kind of think that in the, the magic of the movies type moment, it actually is Roger Moore using that voice playing himself. Uh, and so, yeah, there's been lots of different um, attempts. Can't remember whether we've seen someone who actually attempts to physically pass themselves off as the saint. I don't know. Maybe that might come um, a little bit later on. But yes, there's there's been lots of attempts to to impersonate the saint, like I said, through through a variety of media. I think there is a physical, not exactly double in the power artists. You never actually see. It's only when he's hit the pavement and people are standing round and they draw the blanket back. It's a good heavens. <sighs> it could be Simon Templar, but it isn't. So the saint is in trouble. And quite often the senior policeman on the case puts one of his constables or sergeants onto the job of shadowing Simon Templar's every move. Now, how does Simon Templar get around this inconvenient fact? Uh, well, there's two things which are working in the Saints' favour here. Um, firstly, is obviously police resources mean that only one officer can attempt this stake out rather than perhaps two or three or a team of dedicated officers, which makes it uh, um, difficult. But the saint goes on a charm offensive. 
and will invite the police officer to uh, perhaps have a sit down meal, perhaps have uh, a bit of a drink or even invite him along um, to a party. Tonight we're going to do a little entertaining and you, Sergeant, will be guest tomorrow. I am very flattered. I don't suppose you'd wear a, a costume? I would not. A costume? Oh, yes. Isn't that what you usually wear at fancy dress parties? Um, why not come along? That way you can keep your eye on me much more easily. Uh, and because obviously the policeman's lot is not a happy one, um, he feels that, well, this sounds like a, a really good way for me to keep an eye on the saint because I can just watch him from, from over here while I'm tucking into the lobster thermidor um, or I'm at a party and we're all dancing to the tremolos. I don't think there's any malice meant by Simon Templer here, but he uses both of those opportunities um, to elude the police who are sent there to to look after him so he can sort of save the day. Yes, um, he might have to do a bit of using other tropes, which we have alluded to in uh, previous podcast episodes of um, playing for time, saying the police are on their way, mm. or are they? Yes, he befuddles. Uh, said policeman um, occasionally he locks them in a cupboard or he adopts a disguise so somebody looks vaguely like him particularly if they're dressed as a clown said policeman quite often is able to say well he never left my sight inspector he never left my line of sight gov um, he was there all the time finally comes to that confrontation and the senior police officer just says, you've been fooled. And they go over and they unmask um, the clown, the gorilla, the pirate, whatever the disguise may be. Um, and who's underneath there but smiling very wryly out of it? Why, it's Simon Templer, the saint. But meanwhile, Simon Templer has evaded his police shadow and he meets up with some villains. They probably decide they don't like the look of him or he's getting too close to the truth. Uh, and so he has a fight with somebody. Now, whether it's Ray Austin or not, it doesn't Good old Ray. Uh, whether Ray has actually just is in the scene, has arranged the fight, or is actually directing the episode is neither here nor there, really. But uh, there is a fight, and the saint quite often stands in front of a window or a balcony. And what happens? This is really a warning if you are going to have a dust up um, with villains. And this is more a warning for the villains. Um, if you are going to have a dust up with a saint, perhaps ensure that that takes place um, in a cellar like the one he had with Oliver Reed, uh, where, where this kind of thing can't happen, or at least on the ground floor. Um, because usually anything above the first floor and above, it will mean that uh, at one point, so enraged are they, um, by the resistance that Simon is mounting against them, uh, the villain will bull charge them. And uh, Simon simply steps to one side uh, and the villain goes hurtling out of the window. And then you hear a big bone crunching thud. Um, and then there's that shot where it looks down and you see someone uh, um, which is just begging to be drawn around with a piece of chalk. And it's it's game over. But as you said, Guy, they can no longer help the police with their inquiries. And for a while, Simon still looks to be a guilty party because one of the people who could testify um, and explain the um, case, mystery, murder, uh, um, conspiracy theory is now a pavement pizza and is unable to help. 
So the saint moves on. Whether this is a dark-haired woman or a blonde woman, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, they tend to be slightly older, but uh, the saint spanks or threatens to spank a woman, brackets, but she slapped him first. So that happens in more than a couple of episodes, I think. It's not a regular thing, but um, usually when they've been going for an immensely long country walk with her in unsuitable footwear. Uh, yes, when they went on the pilgrimage in Spain, um, that invariably uh, um, happened. But again, um, towards the end of the episode, they appear to have reached an understanding. I wouldn't say that's always the result of the threat of violence. <laughs> Mm. But um, it seems to work for the saint. Different times, different morals. Now the saint is making inquiries and is offered a drink. Now, sometimes he can detect that there's something not quite... It's not quite the right vintage. Also, he's quite good at detecting the smell of other people's drinks to stop them being poisoned. Yes, um, there have been occasions when people have, uh, you know, had glasses slapped from their grasp. You know, what you think is is kind of like a pro-temperance movement by Simon uh, to, to say, put that pike, no, don't, don't take that. Uh, so, yeah, invariably there have been people who've, who's, whose lives have been saved by Simon Templar. But in a couple of instances, to give that trope a little bit of a twist, um, the actual poison was put there by the villain themselves to make them seem to be a victim. Usually in things like um, one of the saints, big dark house mysteries or country mansion mysteries. So he either does or doesn't detect the Mickey Finn in the drink. Was it the King of the Beggars where he's um, receives drugged hot chocolate? Yeah, oh, who who do that? What kind of monster would drug would drug hot chocolate? Your amaretto or a glass of sherry or something like that. But yeah, you've you've drugged me hot chocolate, which is meant to be a safe drink. Although one of the things maybe, um, and this might, I understand the villain's point of view because this might take a little bit longer. Um, we know that um, all episodes of The Saint, irrespective of their location, locale um, and setup, do feature a huge amount of drinking. So if I was a villain, I'd just carry on waiting till Simon Templar reaches the end of the evening. And certainly if the end of the evening ends anything like the beginning starts, um, he's going to be calied and won't be able to offer any resistance. Probably wakes up in a cellar because that's where he fell asleep. Yes, so he might escape. I've got here, the saint smuggles himself somewhere using a trunk. Now, there are two colour episodes, um, the paper chase or a packing crate, as in the art collectors. Because we haven't made our way through all the black and white episodes, he may well do some of that. I've pencilled in something that hadn't occurred to me before, but then you start cheering every time you, you see it, no matter what ITC series it is. The saint or whichever ITC hero du jour happens to be, they go to a warehouse that on the outside looks like big corrugated doors for an Elstree soundstage. It's like a big aircraft hangar. Or a soundstage. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Shepparton Studios Warehouse Company. But particularly Elstree, there's, there's an awful lot of that, because... They tend to use those for warehouses and then they use the office blocks at Elstree for almost anything else. Fairly international because 
international modernism had made it much easier to use establishing shots for anywhere around the world. But on the inside, once he's inside, it does look a bit like a soundstage uh, for anyone who's actually been in one. They are just like big aircraft hangars or warehouses with lights. But in the Saints case, they're filled with packing cases. Yes, yeah. It's, I suppose, an Amazon warehouse of its day. Now, I don't really know whether you would get a, an international man of mystery or woman nowadays getting into an Amazon warehouse and then having a shootout and dodging round the packing cases or climbing up the racks mm. and pushing boxes down onto the villains and whether the overworked and underpaid staff would actually break off their tasks because they have to get those deliveries out. So all of that stuff could be going on in the background. There's quite a lot of shootouts and packing cases being pushed on top of other people. Sometimes the police might arrive. Sometimes the saint could actually turn his back on somebody. <gasps> Who's it likely to be, Dave? Uh, yeah, Peter Bowles, maybe it's because it's the alphabetical thing, is, is usually top of that list. He looks like the kind of person who carries a kosh or a roll of dimes is is used to clonk Simon over the back of the head and he just collapses like a house of cards, just falls to the ground. Um, again, there, there doesn't appear to be any post-trauma injury um, or concussion uh, or anything like that. But yeah, normally he gets clonked on the head and that's it. So he's been drugged yeah. and fallen into a deep, dark pool. Mm. He's being coshed and fallen into a deep dark pool what's likely to have happened once he's been coshed and he's swimming around in that deep dark pool um he will find that that deep dark pool is actually a deep dark room uh because usually the best place to lock up an international man of mystery is your cellar uh that cellar might need a little bit of a tidying out um, but most of the cellars Simon is is locked in usually contain bits and pieces which will aid and facilitate his um, escape, particularly uh, if it's uh, an overseas episode. Um, big wine barrels always seem to be quite handy. But yeah, usually there will be something in that room which will uh, facilitate his his escape. But yeah, cellars, best place to do it because what you can do is you can just roll them down the stairs or or presumably like a ramp that they have for delivering those those wine barrels um, because you wouldn't smack someone at the side of the head with the butt of a gun and, and then carry them to the top of the house and lock them in the attic. That's too much bother because you'd, you know, you'd be pulling that ladder down that folds out and then you oh, how am I going to get carry me up and and him oh, I'm not going to be able to do it now just put him in the cellar yeah let gravity do the work yes about those cellars with the big wine barrels um they don't always seem to contain wine uh, no no sometimes it will be oh wait a minute the, the wine barrels are the way in which um product x is being smuggled out of the country or it may contain um, other things in the cellar, such as a printing press, in order for us to establish that, oh, wait a minute, this villain um, is behind those forged banknotes, certificates, etc. Or uh, some radio transmitting devices. And that's why they have to be so big, because you need a bit of headroom. Yes, yeah. I'll sort of like just conk your head. Whether or not he's managed to break himself out, uh, sometimes he's imprisoned with other people and 
than the blonde lady about five foot six early 20s yeah something like that um she doesn't always participate too uh, readily in the escape usually she hasn't got the footwear to um do any heavy duty running or climbing or anything like that but then they're often faced with the final confrontation with the villain and often it's the wife of the chief suspect who turns out to be the real villain. Absolutely. So the person that everyone has earmarked as the villain, it just turns out that, no, it's not them. Behind every villainous suspect is a wife. Uh, and we find out that, yes, it's the wife who's coordinated that. I think um, uh, perhaps famously the big reveal in, in King of the Beggars where it's, it's the Contessa. <gasps> I'd have never have guessed. You don't look very surprised to see me, Mr. Templer. Why should I be? Remember, Teresa, men like Elliot are often the last to recognise evil, no matter how close it is. I want to tell you something. I was in love with Angelo Fortunati. I adored him, and we were going to be married. But John Allardyce put him in jail. Where he died. Trying to escape. And you married Allardyce, hating him. I swore I'd get even. Why? Why? Has it ever crossed your mind that a woman like me could get sick to death of a man who spends his life writing about dead people? Then if they didn't buy that story, you decided on a secondary motive. To plant the suspicion on Andrew. You made it appear to people that he was driving you mad. Trying to get you to jump out of a window or throw yourself in front of a car. Why? Because if anything happened to you, Andrew inherited the loot. We were caught in something. Indeed you were. You killed him and threw him in the water. Cold premeditated murder. If it's not the wife, it's quite often one of his friends mm. who has underestimated the notorious Simon Templer for some bizarre reason, has actually instigated the whole affair by involving the saint. If they'd just left well alone, they'd have got away with it if it hadn't been for that meddling saint. Yeah, just sleeping to it. So he's being held at gunpoint. What does Simon Templer say, Dave? Usually being held at, at gunpoint, this where Simon puts his poker face on uh, and explains to the gun-toting villain, you don't think I'd be stupid enough to have come here alone, do you? Why, at this moment, this building, warehouse, castle is being surrounded by the polizai, um, policia, or uh, the surete. And the villain kind of like plays along with this. Do you think I'm foolish enough to believe that stupid story? Why, that's one of the oldest um, ruses. No, Saint, this time you've been outsmarted and outfoxed. And to prove, and then the doors cave in. And sure enough, the busies do turn up. Um, and the Saint was right all along. But he was just kind of stalling for time. Sometimes he is bluffing. The bad news is there isn't a cop within miles of this place. We're strictly on our own. And he is saved by some girl slash wronged villain slash innocent party at the last minute when he's been very cavalier about his own personal security. Thanks, Miriam. I'm sorry, Monsieur Temple. We could not have known each other better. 
invariably he is is flying solo uh, and so he, he sort of depends on the generosity of other people in that episode um uh, i said quite often uh, the uh, the 5 foot 6 blonde lady someone we have suspected of being a villain <gasps> maybe it's the husband that we thought all along whose wife turns out to be the villain um or someone else who is able to facilitate that escape. But yeah, he, he always seems to have a very positive mindset. Well, okay, I'm in a cellar full of wine barrels and there's a load of renter thugs with guns on me, but I'll get out of this. Seems to be uh, Conservative Party policy at the moment. <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, topical humour there. By the way, the names of any political party um, or political party representatives um, are accurate at the time of going to broadcast. Uh, yes, the saint usually has some kind of quip. One thing that quite often crops up is that if not the saint himself, then another character will say... The actual title. This is something which is kind of like seeped in a little bit, hasn't it? Oh, Simon, are you all right? Fine. It takes more than this to kill a saint. Those ones where it is a person's name it's a little bit easier to put that in as a, as a last line because you can be calling out someone's name. Whereas if it's a particular phrase or a definitive article, um, it does become a little bit harder. But as we will see um, in our review show, uh, both of the episodes that we're looking at do sort of play that trick upon us. Yes. Um, if not the very last line, then in the most recent show, then uh, it's pretty darn close, it has to be said. Uh, yes, and so the saint then swans off. Do you think he actually gets a lot of time in between adventures to chill out? Or he decides, oh, I really need a holiday. Go on a fishing trip. At the moment, almost, the episodes are, are sort of standalone. But sometimes there are little hints and mentions of things that he's got up to in previous episodes. I would say that the saint actually ought to get the Queen's Award for Adventure. Mm, yeah, he's, he's done loads of stuff. Rather than the Queen's Award for Industry, or if you were doing it now, the King. Yeah, the King. Um, that's going to take some getting used to. We haven't actually mentioned the passing of her the late majesty, Queen Elizabeth II, partly because she never really got referred to at all during the 60s. Stay awake. This is something you may never say again. I can guarantee it. Who is that? Who? That gorgeous girl in the white dress and the blue hat. Oh, yeah? Oh, why isn't she wearing a crown? There were occasional references to politicians. The Avengers does make a reference to a prime minister as being that man in the Mac who neither Mrs. Peel nor Steed voted for, apparently, <laughs> uh, which you might ex expect. Um, but the royal family themselves don't make an appearance. And even though I think there was a suggested um, episode where uh, the Queen might be kidnapped, I can't remember if that was in the new Avengers or not, but they stayed well off the royal family. as. Um, TV production companies have done ever since. You wouldn't get anyone making a subscription channel blockbuster about 
the royal family. Can't really see that having an appeal. Because one of the problems would be is, you know, what kind of actress would you get who'd be able to play them from, you know, a young age when they come to the throne up until modern day? I can't see it working. Unless you did something crazy, like have different people play her. But I can't see a programme doing that either. No, and you certainly couldn't have, say, well-known faces playing somebody like the Duke of Edinburgh. No, that would just be silly. What you can do is you can have a little bit of fun, um, sometimes a little bit of meta humour. Earlier in the week, I went to see the remake of the Paul Gallico story, Mrs Harris Goes to Paris, um, which features Leslie Manville in a leading role, and um, she's an utter delight. Um, and for those of you unfamiliar with the plot, it does involve Mrs. Harris indeed going to Paris to try and buy a, a Christian Dior dress. And she's told that common people like her shouldn't be allowed to buy a Christian Dior dress because they cater to royalty. And the name of Princess Margaret is dropped. And Leslie Manville says, oh, Princess Margaret, oh, I love her, I do. And of course, a little bit of meta humour there because Leslie Manville indeed did play Princess Margaret in The Crown. Go, Phil. Yes. Right. So if any listeners want to come up with other saint tropes for our imagined episode, I think every single one of those fits to the plot. And I think you would get a point for each one of them that drops up in future episodes of The Saint. Previously, when we've been uh, road testing this, we did come up to something like eight points in an episode. Crikey. So that pretty much writes itself. This has been the showcase podcast for Rose Tinted Black and White Television, the one that will go on to Buzzsprout and will disappear in a puff of smoke in 90 days afterwards. So you probably find that there's hardly anything on Buzzsprout now. But of course, it will go into the archive straight away as will our review show, uh, which can be found on uh, the Sound Stage North SoundCloud channel. My co-host and resident expert has been David Newell. I'm Guy Morgan. Catch us on SoundCloud as we review The Noble Sportsman and The Romantic Matron. I thank you. (laughs) 